0: Book One, Chapter Two of Corporal Cameron of the Northwest Mounted Police: A Tale of the McLeod Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Corporal Cameron of the Northwest Mounted Police, Book One, Chapter Two. Just over the line of the Grampians, near the headwaters of the Spay. A glen, small and secluded, lies bedded deep among the hills, a glen that when filled with sunlight on a summer day lies like a cup of gold, the gold all liquid and flowing over the cup's rim. And hence they call the glen the Kug Orr, the glen of the cup of gold. At the bottom of the cog, far down, a little loch gleams, an oval of emerald or of sapphire according to the sky above that smiles into its steps on dark days the loch can gloom and in storm it can rage white-lipped just like the people of the glen around the emerald or sapphire loch farmlands lie sunny and warm set about their steadings and are on this spring day vivid with green or rich in their red browns where the soil lies waiting for the seed beyond the sunny field the moors of brown heather and bracken climb abruptly up to the dark massed firs and they to the cog's rim but from loch to rim over field and muir and forest the golden liquid light ever flows on a sunny day and fills the cog ore till it runs over on the east side of the loch among some ragged firs a rambling manor house ivy-covered and ancient stood and behind it some distance away the red tiling of a farm cottage with its steading clustering near could be seen about the old manor-house the lawn and garden told of neglect and decay but at the farm-house order reigned the trim little garden plot the trim lawn the trim walks and hedges the trim ducote above it the trim stables buyers barns and yard of the steading proclaimed the prudent thrifty care of a prudent thrifty soul and there in the steading quadrangle amidst the feathered creatures hens cocks and chicks ducks and geese turkeys and bubbly jocks stood the mistress of the manor and prudent thrifty manager of the farm a girl of nineteen small well made and trim as the farmhouse and its surroundings with sunny locks and a sunny face and sunny brown eyes her shapely hands were tanned and coarsened by the weather her little feet were laced in stout country-made brogues her dress was a plain brown windsey, kilted and belted open at the full round neck the kerchief that had fallen from her sunny, tangled hair Was of simple lawn, spotless and fresh. Among her fowls she stood, A country lass, in habit and occupation, But in face and form, in look and poise, A lady every inch of her. Dainty and daunty, sweet and strong, She stood like, the bonny o oh, her bonny mither. As said the south-country nurse, Nanny, Who had always lived at the Glen Coke house from the time that the mother was a baby. But nay, so fine-like, the nurse would add with a sigh, for she remembered ever the gentle airs and the high-bred stately grace of Mary Robertson, for though married to Captain Cameron of Erecht, Mary Robertson she continued to be to the Glenfolk, the lady of her ancestral manor, now for five years lain under the birch-trees yonder by the church-tower that looked out from its clustering firs and birches on the slope beyond the loch. Five years ago the gentle lady had passed from them, but like the liquid golden sunlight, and like the perfume of the heather and the firs, the aroma of her saintly life still filled the glen. A year after that grief had fallen, Mora, her one daughter, the bonny like o her bonny mither, though nay so fine, had somehow slipped into command of the house-farm, the only remaining portion of the wide demence of farmlands once tributary to the house. And by the thrift she learned from her South Country nurse in the care of her poultry and her pigs, and by her shrewd oversight of the thriftless, dawdling highland farmer and his more thriftless and more dawdling womenfolk, she brought the farm to order and to a basis of profitable returns. And this, too, with so little clash and claver, that her father only knew that somehow things were more comfortable about the place, and that there were fewer calls than formerly upon his purse for the upkeep of the house and home. Indeed, the less appeared Moore's management, both in the routine of the house and in the care of the farm, the more peacefully flowed the current of their life. It seriously annoyed the captain at intervals when he came upon his daughter directing operations in barnyard or byre. That her directing meant anything more than a girlish meddling in matters that were his entire concern, and about which he had already given or was about to give orders, the captain never dreamed that things about the house were somehow prospering in late years he set down to his own skill and management and his own knowledge of scientific farming a knowledge which moreover he delighted to display at the annual dinners of the society for the improvement of agriculture in the glen of which he was honorary secretary a knowledge which he aired in lengthy articles in local agricultural and other periodicals a knowledge which however at times became the occasion of dismay to his thrifty daughter and her highland farmer and not seldom the occasion of much useless expenditure of guineas hard won from pigs and poultry. True, more serious loss was often averted by the facility with which the captain turned from one scheme to another, happily forgetful of orders he had given, and which were never carried out, and by the invincible Fabianism of the highland farmer, who, listening with gravest attention to the captain's orders, delivered in the most definite and impressive terms, would make reply— yes, yes, indeed, I know, she will be attending to it immediately, to-morrow, or very soon, whatever. It cannot be said that this capacity for indefinite procrastination rendered the highlander any less valuable to his dear young lady. The days on which Posti appeared with a large bundle of mail were counted good days by the young mistress, for on these and succeeding days her father would be busy with his correspondence and these days were not few for the captain held many honorary offices in county and other associations for the promotion and encouragement of various activities industrial social and philanthropic of the importance of these activities to the county and national welfare the captain had no manner of doubt as his voluminous correspondence testified as to the worth of his correspondence his daughter too held the highest opinion estimating her father as do all dutiful daughters, at his own valuation. For the captain held himself in high esteem, not simply for his breeding, which was of the Camerons of Erect, nor for his manners, which were of the most courtly, if occasionally marred by fretfulness, nor for his dress, which was that of a highland gentleman, perfect in detail and immaculate, but for his many and public services rendered to the people, the county, and the nation indeed his mere membership dues to the various associations societies and committees with which he was connected and his dining expenses contingent upon their annual meetings together with the amounts expended upon the equipment and adornment of his person proper to such festive occasions cut so deep into the slender resources of the family as to give his prudent daughter some considerable concern though it is safe to say that such concern her father would have regarded not only as unnecessary but almost as impertinent the captain's correspondence however extensive was on the whole regarded by his daughter as a good rather than an evil in that it secured her domestic and farm activities from disturbing incursions this spring morning mora's apprehensions awakened by an extremely light mail were realized as she beheld her father bearing down upon her with an open letter in his hand his handsome face was set in a fretful frown mora my daughter he exclaimed how often have I spoken to you about this-this unseemly ah, mussing and meddling in the servants duties, but papa cried his daughter, look at these dear things. I love them, and they all know me, and they behave so much better when I feed them myself, do they not, Janet? she added turning to a stout and sonsy farmer's daughter standing by, indeed, then, they are clever at knowing you, replied the maid whose particular duty was to hold a reserve supply of food for the fowls that clambered and scrambled about her young mistress. "'Look at that vain bubbly jock there, Papa,' cried Mora. "'He loves to have me notice him. Conceited creature. Look out, Papa. He does not like your kilts.' The bubbly jock, drumming and scraping, and sidling ever nearer the captain's naked knees, finally, with great outcry, flew straight at the affronting kilts. "'Get off with you, you beast!' cried the captain, kicking vainly at the wrathful bird, and at the same time beating a wise retreat before his onset. Mora rushed to his rescue. Hoot, Jock, shame on you, she cried. There, now, you proud thing, be off. He's just jealous of your fine appearance, Papa. With her kerchief she flipped into submission the haughty, bubbly Jock, and drew her father out of the steading. Come away, Papa, and see my pigs. But the captain was in no humor for pigs nonsense child he cried let us get out of this mess besides i wish to speak to you on a matter of importance they passed through the gate it's all about allan he continued and i'm really vexed something terrible has happened allan the girl's voice was faint and her sunny cheek grew white about allan she said again and what is wrong with allan papa that's what i do not know replied her father fretfully but i must away to edinburgh this very day so you'll need to hasten with my packing and do bid donald bring round the cart at once but mora stood dazed but papa you have not told me what is wrong with alan her voice was quiet but with a certain insistence in it that at once irritated her father and compelled his attention tut tut mora i have just said i do not know is he ill papa again the girl's voice grew faint no No, not ill. I wish he were. I mean it is some business matter you cannot understand, but it must be serious if Mr. Ray asks my presence immediately, so you must hasten, child. In less than half an hour, Donald and the cart were waiting at the door, and Mora stood in the hall with her father's bag ready packed. Oh, I am glad, she said, as she helped her father with his coat, that Allan is not ill. There can't be much wrong. Wrong? Read that, child, cried the father impatiently. She took the letter and read, her face reflecting her changing emotions, perplexity, surprise, finally indignation. A matter for the police, she quoted scornfully, handing her father the letter. A matter for the police, indeed. My, but that Mr. Ray is the clever man, the police. Does he think my brother Allen would cheat? Or steal, perhaps? She panted in her indignant scorn. Mr. Ray is a careful man and a very able lawyer, replied her father abel careful he's an old wife and that's what he is you can tell him so for me she was trembling and white with a wrath her father had never seen in her before he stood gazing at her in silent surprise papa cried mora passionately answering his look do you think what he is saying i know my brother alan clean through to the heart he is wild at times and might rage perhaps and and break things but he will not lie nor cheat. He will die first, and that I warrant you. Still her father stood gazing upon her as she stood proudly erect, her pale face alight with lofty faith in her brother and scorn of his traducer. My child, my child, he said huskily, how like you are to your mother. Thank God. Indeed, it may be your right. God grant it. He drew her closely to him. Papa papa she whispered clinging to him while her voice broke in a sob you know ellen will not lie you know it don't you papa i hope not dear child i hope not he replied still holding her to him papa she cried wildly say you believe me yes yes i do believe you thank god i do believe you the boy is straight at that word she let him go that her father should not believe in Allen was to her loyal heart an intolerable pain now allan would have some one to stand for him against that lawyer and all others who might seek to do him harm at the house door she stood watching her father drive down through the ragged firs to the high road and long after he had passed out of sight she still stood gazing upon the church tower rising out of its birches and its firs her eyes were resting but her heart was with the little mound at the tower's foot and as she gazed, the tears gathered and fell. "'Oh, mother,' she whispered. "'Mother, mother, you know Alan would not lie.' A sudden storm was gathering. In a brief moment the world and the glen had changed. But half an hour ago, and the cog ore was lying glorious with its flowing gold. Now from the cog as from her world, the flowing gold was gone. End of chapter 2